From the Center for War Studies at the University of Southern Denmark, I am Paul Röhren, and this is a war pod. In this episode, I talk to Vincent Keating about the fact that Russia does not only have a lot of guns, tanks, and nuclear bombs, it also generates a lot of admiration and attraction around the world. It has soft power. In contrast to the common held belief, Vincent suggests that the soft power of Russia is awesome and has actually aided Russia in their foreign policy goals in the last couple of decades. So without further ado, let's start the show. So, welcome Vincent. How does it feel to be one of the first people on the show? This is a very exciting opportunity, I'm sure. Are you honored? It, listen, so honored, you, so honored. I mean, we'll we'll see how this works out. Yeah, uh, that's that's the important thing. Have you done a lot of these things before? I this is actually the first time I've ever done something like this. Have so you been on radio before? I have never been on radio before. No, so this is okay. uh, new experiences for everybody here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, to those of you who don't know, uh, uh, Vincent is an excellent speaker in all kinds of awkward social situations, as we have. As I have personally experienced, and he is able to talk about anything and make everything interesting. So, just to get your ex- like your, <laughs> just for you to get very excited about this show, right? Yeah. So there, there's there's no way that I can actually exceed expectations. <laughs> exactly. It can only go down for yes. downhill from here. So, um, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about asking you to to give us some insights on how you and and Katarzyna, who you co-authored the article with, got the idea of writing the article in the first place. So does it draw upon things that you've been writing previous and how did you sort of get on track to the Russian soft power kind of area? Yeah, so uh, like a lot of research, it uh, it sort of came out of a, a conversation we had over coffee at, at one point. Uh, I had never worked on Russia nor Rus- Russian soft power or soft power in general. Uh, prior to this, most of my research had to do with uh, human rights in the war on terror, or uh, trust and trust building between states. Um, Katarzyna, on the other hand, uh, has, has, has worked on Russia before, and we were talking a little bit about uh, you know Russia's place in the world, Russia's a rising power. And one of the things that I had just casually brought up to her in this coffee conversation um, was exactly this idea that Russia doesn't have any soft power. Uh, because of course I had been hearing in the media that there were that there were you know you had uh, many sort of populist and conservative leaders uh, that seemed to be you know looking towards Russia with admiration, and so I asked her you know I mean it's actually amazing that that you know that no one thinks Russia has soft power. She knew the literature and realized nobody's said this before, which of course is the key when you're doing academia. <laughs> and so we from that point forward, a lucky coffee. We decided to go for it and uh, write the article. Yeah. But before we get to sort of what 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 this all means, I want you to 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 perhaps give us a short crash course for for those of who are potentially listening here who doesn't really know what soft power is. Yes. So yeah. So uh, soft power is a term uh, you know I mean I guess generally associated with Joseph Nye, and uh, the argument that Nye was trying to make. Uh, if, I mean the, the article comes out just after the end of the Cold War, and. The argument is states can have hard power, hard power being resources, military, um, you know, co- things that they can do coercion or bribery with. Uh, but in this new world, in this new post-Cold War world, this isn't going to be, uh, you know, the only tool that's going to be important. Uh, so what Nye argues is that what we need to th- also think about is the state's power of attraction. and. 
Now, I argue that there are a couple of different elements that make states attractive. One is their ideology. So whether or not the, the sort of ideas that they, that they live by, that they see their state, you know, what, what the core ideas of the state are, whether or not those are universal in scope. So they have universal appeal. Uh, and of course, here Nye is thinking about liberalism yeah. right, 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 after, right after the Cold War. The second element is culture. So uh, do you have an appealing culture? Do you have great authors? Do you have Hollywood? Again, because of course, <laughs> Nye is always thinking back to America yeah. uh, when, when, when he's, when he's uh, thinking about this. And, uh, and then third is foreign policy. So do you have a foreign policy that conforms with your values? So, uh, so basically, you can have the biggest liberal values in the world for Nye. But of course, if you have a foreign policy that breaks all of those values, of course, you're not going to have a lot of soft power. So the idea was is that the more your, 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 uh, your ideology is universal, the more sort of cultural assets that are, that are admired that you have, and the more that you have a foreign policy that kind of pulls all this together, uh, the more attractive you'll be. And for now, that's important because if you are attractive, it generates a certain amount of followership. Yeah. And with that followership, it makes life easier for you as the state in the world uh, because you don't have to coerce or bribe people, which might be your other options, <laughs> yeah. right? You, you just suggest something and people are more likely to, to, to go with it. Yeah. So, so, in, so in the article, you talk, which is a very central concept here, you talk about the liberal soft power bias. What do you mean by that? So basically what we argued is that if you go through the soft power literature, uh, there's, uh, you, you can see that when people talk about ideology, yeah. um, the only ideology that they really seem to consider to be attractive is liberalism or liberal democracy. Mm. Now, Nye specifically argues that, you know, that, that it's, possible that many different ideologies can be attractive. So, so he, he, does, he does give that uh, as, 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 as an argument, but even in his own examples, he always comes back to liberal democracy as, as the one that's actually really attractive, right? And this is replicated throughout the entire literature, yeah. right? So what, what you see is that time and time again, when people are talking about soft power, particularly the ideological side of soft power, they are talking specifically about liberal democracy. Yeah. That's, that's their benchmark. So if you're talking about Indian soft power, you will be talking about to what extent does India conform to the values of liberal democracy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so other types of philosophical or ideological positions are, are simply not considered as something that could have attractiveness under this framework. Exactly. So in the article, you argue that Russia has soft power across three categories. Um, so I want you to tell me a little bit about each of them and, and what, what they, in particular, what they mean. Yeah. So, so, so the first category that we, we, we talk about is how Russia is increasingly becoming a leader in basically Christian traditional conservatism. Okay, so Russia in the last sort of five years, maybe 10 years, again, it's very difficult to put an exact date on this, right? In yeah. the last little while, yeah. right, <laughs> has, uh, has really been pushing the sort of Christian conservative element, yeah. uh, you know, domestically. And what we find happening is that this, this is being picked up by other sort of populist Christian leading leaders, right, as, as, as something that they, they point to as, uh, you know, something that they want to emulate. Yeah. 
right? Hmm. So, so it's it's a message of a Christian Europe, yep. right? Exactly. A Christian Europe, um, sometimes framed, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, immigration debate as being an anti-Muslim, yep. you know, uh, debate by the by the far right. Um, but again, the sort of ideology there is not liberal democratic at all, yep. but a very conservative. Christian conservative message yeah. that's coming out. The second one that's uh, important is this idea of uh, illiberal democracy, right? So Russia as a democracy in the sense that they vote, but not a liberal democracy in the sense that you get to run freely or there's freedom of the press or something like this, right? So this this message just really sort of uh, you know resonates with uh, you know certain leaders of, of political parties who of course want to install their own sort of illiberal democracy yeah. themselves right so uh, so leaders who probably if they were to get in power would want to similarly crack down on the media uh, similarly sort of stack the Supreme Court yeah. uh, you know so so that the the sort of like open dissent becomes more difficult. Uh, the third uh, one is is leadership, yep. right? The the strong leadership, and this particularly points to Putin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's Vladimir Putin as strong leader, yeah. as the one who makes decisions, and you can uh, kind of contrast this with sort of the the wimpy Eurocrats in in Brussels who just go to meetings right <laughs> yeah, all day exactly. and and, yeah. and can barely get their act together. Yeah. Whereas you know, Putin is the strong, singular leader who mm. makes the tough choice. And rides horses. And rides horses. And kills stuff. And kills stuff. No, but th- this is the thing, right? Yeah. So it's the it's the heroic, you know, strong leader. Uh, and, and, and again, that, that has resonance, particularly yeah. when contrasted with more the more the more bureaucratic structures of the European Union. For yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so to pick up on that, what 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 kind of countries are are prone to effects from from this sort of through these channels of of Russian soft power? Well, I mean, in the article, we basically argue that that these ideas are are being popped up and are popping up and and having resonance in many many Western countries. There yeah. there isn't. I, I I wouldn't pick to I wouldn't pick a specific country or specific countries because. What it is is that where you have nationalist, populist, what we might call far right groups, yeah, exactly. Um, but importantly, also uh, far left groups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, in yeah. some cases, who also sort of go with the nationalist, populist bandwagon. Sure. Um, where where you find these groups, uh, you find them basically open, openly looking to Russia with admiration. Uh, when we started doing the empirical research, because of course I was thinking of Trump. Yeah. Uh, I might have been thinking about Marine Le Pen, right? of course. You know the obvious examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you start digging down, you find that there are there are many leaders across the board through many different European countries, yeah. the United States, uh, that uh, that seem to be okay with openly saying we think that Russia is doing the right things with these values. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned also in the article that we are not to focus so much on the production side of mm-hmm. of Russian side, or when we're studying Russian soft power. Um, and that there has been an overemphasis on the cultural pillar of Russian soft power. Um, why is this so? And, and why should we? Inst- and what should we instead focus on when we're, if we're trying to, if other people out there want to research Russian soft power? Yeah. So when uh, Katarzyna and I, when, when we did our research and we went through the existing literature, I mean, there, there were there were two things that that you just said that that we 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 really noticed that were pre- prevalent throughout the literature. Yeah. And the thing is, is that if you automatically have the assumption that Russian ideology can't be attractive, 
right? It means that you're only left with a couple of options when talking about Russian soft power. Exactly. Right? One of them is the cultural element. Yeah. Right? So you have plenty of articles talking about the role of the Russian Orthodox Church, yeah. the role of the Russian language, uh, you know, the role of famous Russian writers, okay? And, uh, but what happens with this is that because you're focusing primarily on religion and, and, and language, the effect is only in sort of the, you know, the, the, the immediate sphere around Russia, mm -hmm. right? Where there are other Orthodox countries or Orthodox populations, or where there are, are populations that speak or use Russian, mm -hmm. right? So you, it, it automatically sort of, uh, you know, limits conceptually where Russian soft power influence can, yeah, yeah to, exactly. to basically to the near abroad. Um, the other way of doing it is if you look at, uh, you know, basically Russian propaganda and disinformation, right? So basically this is the idea that what, what Russian influence is, is solely their ability to make themselves look good through lying about it, you know, or, or exaggerating. Mm. So that's propaganda. Mm. Or to basically confuse the West mm. as to what's going on in the West or what's going on in Russia to, to uh, you know, which is dis disinformation. The whole point of it being in the literature to have some sort of moral equivalence. Yeah. But when you look at it this way, all you do is you look at the production side of what the Russian government is doing. Yeah, exactly. So Russian soft power turns into nothing more than whatever the program of the Russian state is. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. I know you talk in, in the article, you talk a little bit about that. Um, we ought not to focus so much on the instrumental value of soft power. But I'm also curious, but you also talk a little bit about and in the end, you, you talk about how, for instance, Russia has used its soft power in relation to various foreign policy goals that it has had, especially in regards to Libya and, no, sorry, Syria and, and, and Crimea. Mm -hmm. Could, what, what do you mean by that? So, so in what ways has the Russian soft power sort of helped Russia in their endeavors in world politics. Yes. So I, I think I think first is sort of like an issue, an issue of clarification when, yeah. you, when we talk about soft power. It's it's my opinion that it's very difficult to to use the word soft power and the verb to use. Yeah. Exactly. Um, because for me, I see it as a latent quality. Yeah. Right. It's a latent quality based on the ideological or mm. cultural attraction. Yeah. So so Russia has soft power when it goes into negotiations or when it tries to do things. Uh, and where it has helped is is exactly in when it tries to do things that are seen as controversial on yeah, the world stage. Exactly. Because the thing is, is that, you know, so far I've talked about how, okay, so there's a pile of populist leaders who are pointing to Russia for various reasons as, you know, the state that they want to be like, right? This, they've got it right for various reasons yeah. and they want to be like that. But the important thing about soft power isn't just the fact that you have people who, who admire you. The important thing about soft power that Joseph Nye talks about is that when people admire you, it's easier to do things, it's easier to do your foreign policy, right? Sure, There's sure. There, you would expect less resistance because you're seen as a leader and then people tend to follow along. Yeah. So it's not just that people like Marine Le Pen or Donald Trump or, or most of Donald Trump's advisors, right, yep. you know, have, have, have said, you know, really nice things about Putin mm. or nice things about Russia. Mm. It's also that when Russia does controversial things, they support Russia. Yeah, exactly. Right? So there's this constant link that we try to show in the paper between those who openly admire yeah. 
and then taking the two examples of, of Syria and the Crimea, those who then basically support Russian policies yeah. or at least don't, you know, don't oppose them in the same way that the rest of the liberal democratic West yeah, I, does. I think that's very crucial, right? That, that the fact that, that, that it's not necessarily actively supporting, it's, yeah. it's sometimes uh, not severely criticizing. Yes, exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. That's which, which, which for Russia is good enough, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's better than criticizing. That's better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Do you think there is some, I mean, obviously there is, but in which ways do you think that there are some kind of similar dynamic uh, generating support or lack of opposition uh, towards Russian intervention as it was when U.S. intervened in, say, Iraq or Libya mm-hmm. and Afghanistan. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting in a way because I, I haven't done the study, but I've thought about yeah. this, right? Because, so you might make the argument, and, and I'm, well, what I'm saying here is purely speculative, yeah. right? So, but you, you, might make, you might make the argument that, you know, the, the, the intervention in Iraq, particularly, has been a little bit of a disaster, right? Yeah. You know, I think I think that's you can safely say that. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, and despite the fact that the, that the United States, you know, went and invaded a country, yeah. right? They didn't get Security Council permission, right? They they then totally messed up the occupation, right? And yeah. so that it's a it's it's a humanitarian disaster, right? The um, you know, we don't, you might make the argument, we don't hate them as much as we th- we probably should for doing as that. As we should. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, that would be no, the soft the, power think, influence, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. we don't have to love them, yeah. right? But the soft, you know, but I mean, the soft power influence is that, you know, they really, really messed up and turned millions of people's lives into into, into misery, if, you know, assuming they managed to keep their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and yet we still... It's not to say that we give them a pass, but we 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 don't. Di- we you might be able to argue that we don't dislike them as much as we 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 should otherwise dislike. Them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, that's also a follow-up question there. How much of this is basically just alliance politics, and how much is it U.S. soft power that makes mm-hmm. us not hate the U.S. for for the various interventions? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a good question, yeah. and uh, you know I've already in the last question speculated away, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, with without any basis. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Uh, so, so I'm I'm not really quite no, sure. No, the, 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 uh, yeah, the I mean the important thing is is that uh, you know what would be interesting about studying it is exactly doing the same thing that that we did with the Russia paper mm. and doing it in the United States example because the point of the Russian paper is that it doesn't matter whether you're allies with Russia or not, right? You know, there's it comes from a lot of NATO countries, yeah. right? You know, it's it's the ideology that you carry if you're in Hungary, if you're in France, if you're in the United States mm. that generates the support yeah exactly right so 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 the fact that the states are allied together actually doesn't seem to matter all that much yeah. in terms of whether or not political elites will be under soft power influence this might be a silly question but is it a bad thing that russia has considerable soft power and for whom is it a bad thing and for mm-hmm. who is it a good thing yeah no, no I, I think this is actually a very good question yeah. right because uh you know who is it a bad thing for, right? It's 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 a bad thing if you're a liberal democrat, yeah, right. I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of how it works. Uh, you know, I'm a liberal democrat. I'm pretty sure you're a liberal democrat yeah, at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. We well, are like more or less, right? You know, <laughs> no. we can we can critique liberalism, but yeah, at the end exactly. of the day, we're not. You know, we're we're, we're, we're not. We're all in Scandinavia, so it's yeah, more or less. This is the thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I think I think the fact that the the, the soft power influence is is, is bad for uh, liberal democracy potentially. Yeah. Um, because the other thing that we've seen and we started to see is that Russia is, of course, you know, uh, you know, helping these parties out. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've helped helped out the uh, Front National in, in France. 
right? And uh, and they're almost perhaps certain, Donald Trump. Yeah, perhaps Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, but the thing, but the thing is, is that you know this 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 whole sort of Russian influence thing makes a yeah. whole well it makes more sense, I guess you could say, right? If you think about it in terms of Russian soft power, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Trump is the strong leader, demagogue, you know, uh, uh, populist, nationalist, right? Yeah. I mean, he kind of ticks all of the boxes. So it is, under this perspective, completely unsurprising yeah. that he thinks Putin is a good guy and that he would think about actively cooperating with him yeah. if they did. Or creating channels where or they creating, can... Yeah, or allegedly creating channels. We'll, allegedly we'll, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see how <laughs> we'll it works see out in terms of there. the investigation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we talked a little, about, little bit about this before we came into the studio here, where I talked to that this sort of uh, soft power literature and everything about it also relates to two things, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, to, to status research so about social status and world politics, and I'm talking a little bit about, but also about normative power, right? The EU has a normative power. It has a lot of similarities. But about the status research, I... I, I, I there is also there been a similar idea that liberal democratic values generate status. Um, but we, when we're actually going in and trying to observe this, we don't see that there is a clear cut example or clear cut sort of relation, a positive relationship between those two. So the question here becomes, do you really think that it really doesn't matter about what you base your soft power on as long as you have a clear role, uh, a clear idea? and perhaps narrative about what you want to be that sets you apart from the rest and the significant capabilities in order for you to portray that image. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I think that's important, uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, all the things that you said, but I, I think the other thing that's always important is that you also have to think about is that you have to have an ideology that other people think is cool. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's you, you, you could you could pick an ideology that, of course, everyone thinks is you know, kind of, kind of, kind of lame, right? No, exactly, right? And you know, so you could be have be a great power, and it's like, hey, we're the leaders of this lame ideology that everyone thinks is a little bit daft. Lame right? power, that's the new yeah, thing. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a paper. That's paper. Yeah. Yeah. No, but so this is the thing. I mean, there's uh, you, you with Russia. What what they've really picked up on is 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 that they can ally themselves with this populist nationalist method message, yeah. um, and uh, and to the extent that. Uh, you know, these type of parties uh, make political uh, headway, right? I mean, it's the, the better it is for Russia, right? Because you can expect, and this is an all other things equal argument, right? That uh, that they will have an easier time in, in their foreign policy, mm -hmm. the, the more that these parties are, are, are popular. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the, the way forward here. Where do you see? Are you going to work a little bit more on this soft power issue? Or, or do you see any sort of further trajectories of where you want to do research on, especially in regards to Russia or? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, it, we, there's there's not just myself uh, in the Center for War Studies who's working on uh, Russian influence. There's yeah. also another colleague of ours, yeah. Olivier Schmidt. And uh, and and what we're currently working on is, is, is a paper that tries to explain why it is that the, the American reaction to Russian influence uh, you know, isn't quite the same as what we saw during the time of the Soviet Union, yeah. despite the fact that it is, you know, a, a, a rival and an ideological rival, right? Yeah. So, I mean, a, a non-liberal ideological rival, right, that's actively, you know, has propaganda, disinformation, and, of course, for us, soft power yeah. influence on some of their elites, including the President of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, during the Cold War, this is an unthinkable proposition. Yeah. 
right? And so what we're trying to sort of tease out to sort of understand the situation is is to do sort of a, a structured comparison between the two, the two to try to get some idea about you know what what is this phenomenon and mm. why don't you see a similar amount of resistance? You know, if I was going to close down on something, uh, I th I think what's what's important about it. And just thinking about what what does this all mean, mm. right? And I think sort of one of the practical things that we need to take into consideration is that in the current discourse over those who are attracted by Russia, we tend to basically use terms like uh, stooges for the Kremlin, useful idiots. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is, this is what you tend to hear. And I think that's really good in terms of, you know, I mean, because one strategy is you're just trying to delegitimize these 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 people, yeah, right? exactly. You know these these political elites who are pointing to Russia, um, but I think we 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 have to be careful here because we have to recognize that you know they might not just be useful idiots as yeah. in sort of like pawns, yeah. but that this is a broader phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Right, this is a broader phenomenon tied up with you know the the, the surge of, of of conservative populist belief yeah. in in Europe. Absolutely, and that uh, you know our our discourse about how we deal with it, you know can't drive how we how we actually think about it right so that you know it's not just a couple of people yeah it could be a broader thing and, and we need to take that you know more seriously i think i think yeah i think that's very interesting and it also goes back to what we talked about that this that that it might not be that just there are people who are entirely convinced of this i mm -hmm. mean sometimes we would label those people lunatics but yeah. those who are entirely convinced of this uh who buy into everything that is being said yeah. um, but it's also it, it probably works on a continuum a mm -hmm. little bit right yeah, there are people that are influenced by this who are also again influenced by other kinds of soft power in the world say u.s soft power or just basic liberal democ democratic ideals but they might also be influenced to a certain extent and that might have an effect on world politics am i reading you right yes yeah. well this, this is the thing right yeah. is is that is that don't don't confuse your strategy to delegitimize de these actors with reality yeah exactly right that that this could be a bigger thing that this could be a, bi a bigger social thing yeah. and not just a, a few political elites and that if that's the case then it could be a threat to liberal democracy and as a good liberal democrat you know, that's something we need to think about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Anyhow, I want to thank you a lot for coming and doing this podcast. Yeah, it's uh, been a lot of fun. And I really hope you come again uh, yes. next time with, with the re next article on, on soft power, perhaps. Or yes. something else. We'll, we'll see. Could be something yeah. else. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.